Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. We had an episode last week, and we are back this week with a very special episode. We've got a special guest for you on the show. Uh, as everybody knows who listens, we do like to get some industry insights, some expertise, some people working in the game in, in, in Norway and Sweden and Scandinavia to, to bring a bit of insight and context behind uh, what we watch every week. And this week, I'm delighted to say that we are joined by um, Rafa Roldan, who is the performance coach at Ostersunds. Has been a performance coach at for the last, uh, I think, three years, since 2018. Am I right in saying that, Rafa? That's all right. And um, we're going to talk today about kind of the role of a performance coach. So this is going to be a show where hopefully you're going to get a lot of value from it because, you know, sometimes maybe you're looking at a game, even if it might not even be in Scandinavia, you might be watching a match and you see people running around with like iPads and stuff like that, or you, you see like recordings of games, training sessions, and you think to yourself, what exactly are these guys doing behind the scenes? Um, and so we're delighted to be joined by Rafa, who's going to help us uh, kind of understand that side of it. He's got a lot of experience in Scandinavia, uh, and so we're very um, delighted to be to be joined by you. So Rafa, how are you today? Thank you so much for for joining us. Nah, the first thing, thank you so much, guys, for having me. It's a it's an honor for me to be a guest in this podcast after such a great name that has been before me. So for me, it's it's an honor to be here with you guys. Yeah, and it's, it's it's an honor to be with you as well. I mean, we we've sort of had you in mind as a, as a potential guest for quite a while, quite a few months, in fact. Um, and you know, I'm glad that you've got the time because I know that you know in in your role, there's a lot of traveling, isn't there, and a lot of work involved in uh, going to all the stadiums every week. So, um, really, thank you so much for for giving us your time. I'm going to start with like a very just simple, obvious question, really, and we'll get into it from here. What is a performance coach? Can you explain to me the role of it? What does it involve? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a $1 million question. I think our role is a, it's kind of a new role in, 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 the, in football because we are not only analyzing videos and tactical and stats, uh, we are also to put everything into a context. I think that a performance coach has to be somebody that knows the, world, the game well tactically, that has a very good relationship with the manager and knows perfectly how the manager want to play, to do both the analysis of the opposition, our own analysis, and then after all the data from, for example, your partner's wife is giving us, to put everything together, analyze, and give uh, to the manager and to the staff and to all of us a clear picture of where we are, where the players are, and where we are in contest with the competition. So it's a bit, it's nothing concrete, it's nothing specific, but it's a bit of everything. Yeah, and I can imagine it's it's quite a detailed role. I mean, you know, you, you, there's so many different aspects to it. Can, can you break down, you know, because obviously there's, for example, um, people listening to the show might understand or if, if they don't understand. You have, for example, opposition analysis, isn't there, where you, you maybe you watch the opponent in the week before the game or weeks before the game to try and find little uh, bits of information. You have different types of it, isn't it? You also analyse maybe the own, your own team's training sessions to understand tactics and, and analysis. What, what percent of your work would you say um, in your role that you've just had at Ostersons, would you say, you know, what percent is, for example, opposition work? What percent is maybe uh, figuring out tactics? What percent is maybe you reviewing coaching sessions? Could you could you give us a, maybe a breakdown, if that makes sense? Yeah, it uh, makes perfect sense. It's like everything starts from the last game, how we have this analysis of our own team, how we are doing, how was the game according to the game plan the manager had, where were the areas that we did well, which were the areas that we could do better, 
and then analyze also with the GPS data of the players, all the tactical data from the players and the and the team. And then we have the, a clear picture of how was the last game. And from there, we go to the next game. Is uh, when we I analyzed all the opposition games. Normally, it's the last five, six games, depending on the team. And then when we have a clear analysis of the game, you know perfectly your team. Then we prepare accord with the staff, with the manager, the assistant manager. We, we propose how we can look the week of trainings. And then, obviously, every day after training, you have to review the training. We have a, a system of cameras in every Alessvenskan club to review our training. So that's, that's superb. And then we prepare the game and we prepare the, yeah, the match plan for the next for the next game. And in addition to that, we also do uh, the analysis of the players with all the GPS data we have and, and so with the help of normally the strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And and, and as, as I've said, you know, we'll, we'll talk about your, your background in a second. I mean, you, you joined the club uh, in 2018, as you said, and Osterson's finished uh, si- sixth in the table in, in 2018. Exactly. Um, and then since finished 12th uh, in 2019, and then 2020 finished um, in 13th place. So, I mean, the you know, the issues at the club have been kind of quite well documented and, and we won't mm-hmm. go into them too much on, on, on this show. And, you know, you've been behind the scenes at the club and you understand inside out. Tell us about kind of, you know, the the role of the club in terms of, you know, as most people, maybe people who don't know about the show uh, or about Ossesons, they may think about the Graham Potter era and kind of, you know, the fantastic achievements there and, you know, um, getting to the Europa League knockout stages, beating Arsenal, things like that. Um, and then obviously you've come in after that period of time, Graham Potter then left and went to Swansea, of course, Ian Birchnell, who's also been a, a guest on this show in the past, um, came in to the club and he kind of gave you your role, am I right in saying that? And t- tell us how you ended up at Ostersunds because you, you, you've been working in Scandinavian football for, for some time, haven't you? Yeah, I was working before coming here to Ostersunds. I was six years in in Norway, in the rivals of Sweden. So yeah, I met Ian by actually casualty uh, in, in Norway because he came to the club I was in Norway head to pay us a visit. And then I met him and we, we kind of clicked. I think that um, Ian as a person, as a manager is totally superb. So a few weeks after he was appointed here in, in Ostersund, he called me and explained me the project. Um, I think I spent between one to two seconds to say yes. I remember perfectly I was in the mountains as a proper Norwegian at, at the time. <laughs> uh, I, I said, yes, yes. Okay, when, when it is. I remember coming just in the middle of uh, the season 2018 and in the round 15 on the league against away against Ellsworth. And I think that obviously wasn't easy to come to the club for anybody after Graham Potter era because it has been the, the best era for the club history. But I think in 2018, we did a, a fantastic season. We finished only one point behind uh, the club record after a season where we lost, uh, I think it was seven players from the last game against uh, Arsenal in the Europa League knockout stages. So, yeah, I think that, that season was quite good. I think the club and everybody was yeah, pushing in the same direction and and we could work in a in a very nice way. I will I will always be grateful to to Young to give me the chance to come here. And I think we we worked really hard because especially it's not easy to arrive to a club in the middle of the season. You have to do 
extra work because you know not much about the teams. You have to know all the teams, no new players. But actually, the, the help not only from Ian, also from Brian Wake, another English coach that was there, Sean Constable, another past guest of the of the show as well. So we we did a very a very good job, I think. Finished the league seven, uh, sixth, sorry, with forty nine points. It was quite good. And then yeah, everybody is well known. Everything that has happened in the club. But still, I think during the time I've been there, 2020, uh, 2019 and 2020 has been, it has been an interesting years for everything that has happened. But the world that we have done has been quite good. And uh, unfortunately, now the club is not, a, it's not in a best moment. But yeah, I think that uh, I wish them all the best. But yeah, I think that I, uh, I'm quite, quite uh, happy about my, my work there. Uh, I think like with all the things we have had with both managers, with Ian also with the current manager, we could have done a, a, a good and decent job in during the 19 and 20 season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a tricky one, really, when you talk about Ostersons, because, um, you know, for those who don't know, the, the club obviously had this fantastic rise, came through the divisions uh, with, with Graham Potter, who kind of really built the club uh, from the ground up to a certain extent. Um, did so well to sort of get them into Osvenskan, you know, won the Swedish Cup, really kind of, really kind of put the team on the map, to be honest. Um, you know, it, it was promoted um, in 2016, I think, after after back-to-back promotions uh, to Osvenskan has been there ever since. And, and you know, that whole story is a story that kind of is so well documented. We've talked about it on the podcast many times. And, you know, from that point of view, Austin's are kind of like a rags to riches type club. And 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 people should be, you know, very kind of appreciative of what, what they've done because it is a fairy tale story to it. But there is that kind of darker side to it, which we, you know, we can't ignore. Um, I'm not going to ask you personally about, about that side of it, but uh, just for those who maybe don't understand the context. So Austin's... Um, after, after obviously after the great part left and uh, there was sort of reports of like financial issues behind the scenes and, and then it kind of culminated ultimately in uh, their ceo uh, daniel schimberg uh, he was jailed for um, financial crimes uh, found guilty of funneling public money into the club um, according to uh, bbc and and sky sports and everyone and uh, so basically there's you know been a kind of a a turning of that story, if that makes sense. Um, the accusations of what you know he was doing. I know there's been appeals in courts and things like that, and it's still kind of sort of ongoing. Um, but essentially, why I'm explaining this is because the the narrative about Ostersons kind of then switched in, and it kind of changed after um, Graham Potter had left. Uh, and I suppose from that point of view, you you know yourself, Ian, and others. Uh, you mentioned Sean Constable, who we've had on the show as well, friend of the show. It kind of the narrative switched of Ostersons, didn't it? And and really, you know, if we're being totally honest, um, they became kind of a club that in Sweden is, you know, a lot of fans turned against. And 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 now there's a kind of feeling Ostersons are uh, not not too well liked the club. Um, I know you can't of course, comment on that side of it, um, but it's just to give a bit of a reflection as to why the club sort of dropped down, you know, in positions and that kind of thing. The money's obviously um, tightened up in the last few years. You know, the club's lost a lot of players. You know, we've talked about it on, on the show uh, with myself and Steve in general, the, the challenges Ostersons have had. How, how difficult has it been for you as someone working at the club to kind of kind of navigate that whole side of it? Because obviously, I know, you, you know, you just deal with the day-to-day football side of it. But with, for example, losing players, things like that, how, how much does that impact your own work and, and your day-to-day stuff? And obviously, you know, you must be aware of it 
in the, the the feeling behind Ostersons. Does that make your job more difficult, or is it kind of you try and zone that out? Uh, yeah, maybe not to say more difficult, but having make it easier to to be working because obviously all the turnovers of the players. When you are in a project, you want the project to be stable. You want to be working with the same people or the same players the longer as possible. But well, it hasn't been easier. But I think we have had in both eras in in Ostersund, I've been with Ian and the current manager. I think that we have been quite well isolated about the noise around. So I think we can, it didn't affect too much our day-to-day. I think it was affecting more the club as an organization. We, day-to-day, we just tried to focus to win the next game. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we didn't. But we cannot say that, okay, when we succeeded, it was because we were super, despite all the problems and so on. And when we lost, it was because of the problems. I think at the end, we we have done the best we could, uh, despite the noise around us. Try to isolate ourselves in our own bubble, and and the war has been put on the on the pitch. Even last year, everybody was yeah, betting on us to be relegated, and we there was a part in the middle of the season that we were the best team in Alessandrian, and I think like we were. We were quite good in that, and to be isolated and not not to pay too much attention to things that couldn't give us anything. Yeah, of course, and you know the, the reason behind that context as well is you know quite a few staff members have left. Obviously, Ian, Ian left, and others have left. Obviously, David Priest you mentioned is a, a friend of yours, um, and also since currently, you know, it's not not been the best of seasons. Started you know fairly well with a couple of wins, but um, after 15 games played, the, the team is, is currently bottom of the table, and and obviously you know perhaps that's kind of in in some ways um, led to your you know your own decisions, and of course you will be you'll be leaving the club, and I'm, I'm sure that. You know, this experience probably puts you in good stead for your for your next role. I imagine you, you must have learned so much in your in your few years there with the different coaches you've worked with and, and the experiences at uh, a top level club um, in Osvenskan. Yeah, for me, it has been a, a superb journey with the club. I will always uh, remember the club with a smile and remember the good things. I think it's like uh, when you split up with your first girlfriend. It's uh, it's painful in the beginning, obviously. But uh, then just gonna remember only the good stuff you have done together, uh, all the good games we have played. There has been games that will be always in my memory, and obviously the the experience of working first with a staff full of English people, with a lot of English players, players that were coming from playing World Cups, like in the first two games with Sam and Godos. Then you see players that have been playing the African Cup of Nations, like Ali Keita and Ron. You get experience also from them. Uh, I think it has been a learning process for me as well from the beginning. A very hard work since the first until the last day, but also a very rich uh, learning process for me that I will keep for all, uh, yeah, for always for me. And I've been learning from every single person in the staff that has been passing. So from some of them a bit more, some of them another aspect of the game. But yeah, has been has been superb, and now it's time for me to to have a couple of days charging batteries and finishing my UEFA license, and, and on to the next next challenge in my career. Yeah, and I'm sure that you know from uh, from what we've heard behind the scenes, kind of I'm sure you're very well highly thought of, and I'm sure you'll you know you'll you'll bounce back into a into an exciting role very soon. I I want to ask you kind of you, you mentioned about players there and 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 you know people you work with. Obviously, you know um, a lot of teams in Osvenskan in general, not only Ostersons, they're quite they're quite close, aren't they? It's not like, for example, say um, perceptions of massive clubs maybe in England, for example, where you maybe 
all the departments are quite split. The departments are quite closely intertwined, aren't they? So you, like you said, you work with players sort of day to day and things like that. Um, I remember we did a show with, with Sean Constable and he talked about um, Ravel Morrison, for example, and, and how great it was to work with him and the skills he, he put out. When you arrived at Ossesons and, you know, you mentioned some of the players that you've worked with, tell us about kind of the, the, the interaction with players like day to day that you've had. You know, do you, are you responsible for trying to improve those players? Um, and how do you do that? Is it kind of maybe say, do you, do you go through video analysis? Uh, do you kind of point out their, you know, their data, things like that? Just talk to us about performance, that side of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that was a, a great surprise for me because obviously I, I was working in lowest divisions in, in Norway before coming here. So the, the players were always eager to, to know about data and so on. So one of the, the things that I was concerned when I came to a top tier in, in Europe was, Okay, well, how they will the player react? They will think that, okay, he's coming from lower division and he's not gonna show us anything. But since the first moment, uh, I, I must say all the players were very welcoming, very open to listen to what I had to tell them, very open. Okay, some of them more than other, obviously, to to listen about and to see the videos, to see stats, to to put goal on what to what to improve. And that has been super. Also, I think we have the the good thing that we are a small club. Is we are in a city that is only forty thousand, so we know each other very well. We see each other in the city when we are going for a coffee or anything, and that creates a bond also with with the players. And as you said previously, with all the hours we spend traveling, we create a bond and, and we, to create a lot of, of good relationship with the players and. At the end of the day, are the players, and that's I'm so happy when the players are asking you to give more feedback. Okay, I, Rafa, let's work in the next two weeks with this specific because they see what you give to them, the small details, the most a small video. It doesn't need to be a big meeting with all the players. I think what they appreciate the most, the players, is a small one-to-one -one meetings where you give them clarity, some two, three concepts, and then when they see on the pitch that it works, then they are they are in forever can you give me like a specific example it doesn't have to be you don't have to name a player i mean if you can then that, that's great you don't have to though if you want to keep it um, private in terms of the name but can you give a specific example of um you know let's say if i asked you the question like how do you how do you improve a player you know well, for, uh, kind of, I, let's say you stop something in a game you're watching a match you know, and then you think to yourself, right, I'm going to try and this player can do this or this player can do that. Is that kind of how it works? And could you give an example maybe of a time where you said, okay, this player, I noticed he, he wasn't great in this area and how this is how you work. You know, how how do you improve a player? You yeah, it, it, it can be even during the the game. We have, obviously, I'm doing, in the first half, I'm doing videos, I'm doing clips according the the game plan on the stands. And obviously, if I see something, a small detail that you can tell to the player and show the video during the halftime, and then when you see the player that has taken the feedback, do it on the pitch and it has improved not only his performance, also the performance of the team because of that, that is the moment where you say, okay, what we are doing is we are going in a, in a good way. And the player is listening, the player takes it, not as a critic, because when we give players a video or something that is not perfectly or something that can be improved, we are not criticizing his performance. We are trying to to help him to perform better. I think that is something that has to be very clear, that when you are showing something that is not so good, we are not blaming on it. We are trying to help him to improve his performance and therefore improve the performance of the team. And then as Sean Costable named Ravel Morrison, 
everybody knows Robert Morrison. And I can say that he was the most humble guy and the nicest person that you can speak on a football pitch with. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, I can imagine, you know, you know, I, I'm really, this really fascinates me and hopefully it will fascinate some listeners as well. You know, that role, because it's, it, you know, sometimes people don't really, I suppose, understand those the, the behind the scenes work and the, the level of detail that you, you as, a, some, as a performance coach would have to go into. Can, can you give, you know, let's say you're trying to improve a defender or something like that. Like, do you, do you have a, an, an example that you can provide? Like, you know, uh, whether it's, a, let's, say, let's say a wing back that you notice they need to push forward more. Does it work like that kind of thing or a striker? Could you give us some insight behind that? Like, how would you prepare to feed that information? Because as you said, if you're kind of, uh, you know, you can't, you've got to be careful to make sure that the player's on board, that they listen to your ideas, but you've also got to kind of point out to them how they can improve. How would, exactly. you, how would you go about that? Because obviously that's really a key to your job, isn't it? Um, in some ways, trying to get the best yeah. out of the players and point out to them how they can improve. And that, yeah, it's coming as well. It starts, uh, if you want to improve a player or, or to help him to perform better in the game, it comes to the analysis of the opposition. Okay, you have the analysis of your position, not only the whole tactical, but also individual from players. So, sorry. Uh, so, you have details, you have positioning of the defenders or the central backs, and then you can speak with the, with the strikers. Okay, normally the central backs look at here when the cross is coming. They are normally, this one is more eager to go out, so we can explore maybe the, the space between them a bit better. But if it's the cross coming from the, the other side, Maybe it's better if we go for the cutback because the defender is not so eager to go out, so it's not the space between them, but the space is in front of them. So is is that individual detail that can that makes the difference? At, at the end, it's not it's not such a big concept. It's not you're not working with uh, technically so much either, but this is small details that you can give to the player now, specifically the the strikers, and in the in the weekend can help them. To, to improve. Or, for example, that has happened a lot of times that, okay, we have prepared a game um, because the opposition is going to play in a 4-2-3-1 and suddenly we are starting the game and they are starting with back five. So the first five, five to 15 minutes is to analyze everything that the other team is doing that you didn't expect clearly and then give the feedback to the manager or the assistant manager and then they will give the feedback to the players on the pitch. And when you see that works, that is the moment you say, okay, this has improved the performance of the players and, and the team. And it has helped us to take the hand of the game. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. I mean, how, how is your, uh, how is the role of a performance coach uh, judged, if that makes sense? Um, is it based on, because obviously it can't be necessarily based on results because it depends on the expectations of the club, for example. So what kind of targets do you, are you set or what are your metrics? Is, it, is there a certain, you know, what's the, how do you know if you're doing your job well, if that makes sense? I, I think like one of the first things that is most important is to know the manager, yeah. to know what they are, the, the, his football ideas, what he has in his head, how he wants to approach games. It's not the same to be the performance coach in a top team in Premier League where you have to normally just focus on yourself and what you have to do well than in a team that is in a, in a battle for relegation in League One. Then you have to focus more maybe in the opposition, how you can deny their strength, how you can yeah, use their weaknesses to, to give you a chance to win the game. I think it's performance coaches is really, really evaluated by the head coach if he's happy 
with the feedback he's getting, if the head coach sees that what you are giving to him is really what is happening or what the ideas of the concept or the analysis of the rivals is exactly what's happening on the pitch. Because if you are telling the head coach, okay, they are going to come and play like this, and the next 10 games, none of the teams is playing like you said before, then the, the head coach will say, okay, what are you looking at? What do you see that is not happening? I think that's, that's why it's quite important to know the manager and to have a lot of meetings with the manager because at the end of the day, he's the, he's the guy that is going to evaluate us if he likes our work or not. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, let's uh, hope you don't mind me digging into this because for me, it's, it's so fascinating. Uh, you know, what's your day-to-day, what was the day-to-day role of a performance coach if that makes sense? So let's say, okay, the game, let's say the game's on a Saturday or a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you travel to the game. Your your pitch side for the match. I assume, like you, you help with the uh, pitch side, like you said, analysis. If the team, let's say a team, like you said, changes their shape, you you have to feed that information, maybe even at half time or or during the match to the to the coach. Let's say the game ends, you have a bit of time to relax, and then what is your you know from then till the next game? Could you talk us through maybe your day to day, the average yeah, yeah. life of a performance coach? You know what are you doing on say the Monday, the Tuesday? You know maybe you're reviewing some of the past game then you start to look to, towards the next game could you just explain the like the workflow of that and and you know how much detail you go into and that kind of thing yeah if we are talking about the match day minus two minus one when normally we are traveling the day before of the game mm-hmm. and that day normally i don't i don't see the next the rival that we're going to play the day after i already watching and finishing the work for the next opposition so in the in the game day i i go through the match plan with the coach again we see, we talk about, okay, what specific things we want to see from the game and the things that if they are working or not. And from there, we go to, to the match. In the match, as, as, yeah, as I said, it's like we are, there is two kinds. There is normally a, a pure analyst that is making all the clips. And then for me, what I like or what I think I do the best is to be focused on our game plan, on what of the things can help us to improve during the game or what things are doing the rivals that we can expose them more or what things we have to control the, the rival. And as you said, in the halftime, there's always four, five, six videos, can be three videos for the whole team and then three individual videos for the goalkeepers in the goal kicks to show where the space is to the midfielder to when we are built up, okay, where are the spaces in between lines that he can be exploring a bit more and then a couple of videos maybe to the strikers. That is depending much too much uh, a lot. If if we are leading 3-0, that happens sometimes. There's no much more to say than to just continue because everything has been working well. And maybe if we are down in the score scoreboard, then we have to give a bit more, more feedback. And just after the game is a couple of hours of relax, try to cool down, and then right away starting the analyze of that game. So we get all the clips, we get all the cuts, and we watch again the, the game, and we prepare the presentation for the manager for the day after to review the game. And that is okay, now it's finished. The day after the game, we, we do the review. Then with assistant manager, normally, if we have to do some individual clips for the assistant manager to go through with the two, three players, four players, that is very depending. Mm. And that is, that is done the day after the game. And normally the free day is two days after after the game. And that those two 
that uh, we will be on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is working very close since Tuesday with the manager to do the presentation of the next opposition for the players. I have everything ready, all the clips, all the stats, all the context of the team ready. It's a big, big PowerPoint with a lot of a lot of different data, videos, individual players. Um, and from there, we do the trainings. We are, if we're in the training, we are focusing our offense, then we'll show the defense of the opposition. And that, that job is, is finished uh, in the mornings. And then in the afternoons, it's already looking for the arrival of the next week. So we are always working in a, one week ahead of the next opposition. And you know, you must be pretty good at PowerPoints in that case, you know, so much data, you know, in football, especially now in football that, you know, this, this, this rise of kind of data, uh, which I, you know, I might ask you about in a minute. How uh, big is that, if you know what I mean? Like how, 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 how much do you need to learn sort of presenting your ideas to the manager and that kind of thing in, in an easy way with PowerPoint and, and, you know, using data? What key bits of data are important? What bits of data maybe do you, you know, how, because I assume you don't have all data. Make the PowerPoint, for example, you've got to cut it down into really clear bits of information. How how difficult is that? And what are your kind of uh, secrets? If you know what I mean? Yeah, it has it has been very very tough. But uh, uh, luckily, I I just finished a, a course in a university in Spain about big data in football, mm. relating to the model of play, training, and analysis, which has been every has made everything much more smooth. And obviously, we ha I have a database of every game in Alessandrska in the last three years. And we have around 50 to 54 parameters of every game to analyze. Wow. Obviously, I'm using, some, uh, I'm using a software that's called Tableau. Yeah. And through Tableau, I am yeah, analyzing, picking the most important things, creating, because at the end of the day, we can see how many shots on target every team, how many goals we have scored from outside or inside the box. That has is a we call is a quantity information. We know how much, is, but then what I'm doing lately is to create new parameters and to combine parameters to give us a, a clear picture of the team. One of the things I've been working the most is with the build up and the pressing of the teams in in where mm -hmm. in the build up I've been I've been analyzing how many lost in the defensive third every team has had how much has been the PPDA of the opponents and how much of those losses has become shots for the for the rival. So then it has given us a clear picture of, of the league and the same with the pressing. How many how many balls we have stole in the in the offensive third, how may, how much is our PPDA and how much of those balls that we have stole in the last third has become in a, in a shot on target. So that is that's giving us a much better view of the teams. Where the where this team is in in this parameter, where is in this in that parameter, and that has helped me a lot to the video analysis because then obviously I know the teams, but then it has given me okay look in this team for this point because it's key in their performance. And actually, I'm I'm very grateful for the guy that gave me the tip about the course because it has been has been a lot of work to do this year as well. <laughs> but it has given me the chance to to analyze to and to put in context maybe a database with two hundred thousand different entries to put it in context and to be much easier to read. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, uh, 
I'm trying to learn uh, Tableau at the moment, and you know, I can imagine it, you know the challenges are. It's, it's not that. It's not that. It's not that easy. I think, and you know, the amount of data, like you say, the amount, of, um, you know, the amount of points you've got to kind of bear in mind and, and condensing that information really takes a lot, a lot of skill. I mean, I just always want clear PPDA means passes per defensive action. I think that's kind of a term that, that kind of gauges pressing, isn't it? And um, just so exactly not familiar with the terminologies, uh, just to get a bit of insight there. But yeah, it's, it's so fascinating. Let, let's look at the. Um, Let's look at Osvenska, you know, have a little mm-hmm. chat that because obviously, you know, you, you've mentioned some some interesting bits of insight there. And, and, you know, we had a podcast earlier in the season about kind of the the, the rise of different formations in Osvenska now. And, and, you know, the league used to be more of a kind of predictable, maybe 4-4-2 kind of league that a lot of teams mm-hmm. kind of shape. And uh, what we've noticed this season is a trend towards maybe, you know, different shapes. You've got three, four, some 3-4-3s, you know, you've got some 5-3-2s, things like that. And Austin's played uh, kind of a five at the back at times this season. Um other teams as well you know you look around the league and there's a lot of tactical fluidity uh what are your thoughts about that is that something that you also have noticed uh, and what are your theories behind that and you know how 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 much do you have to know about sort of tactics and, and trying to adapt say if a team plays a 3-4-3 versus a 4-4-2 how you know what are the interest yeah. you need to know for me it has been too yeah too, too uh, i've been analyzing a, a lot about the back three so back five and the thing is for me i have still not clear Sometimes it's teams has been playing with back threes because they want to dominate more the ball, or they have been playing with back threes because nowadays the central backs are not as good defending as they were before, and they are better with the ball. Mm. So it's something like I have a clear example of Spain in the Euros that okay they didn't play with back three, but they played with central backs. They were not not as a 80s English central back we can call it, but they <laughs> yeah. are more, much better with the with the ball on the feet. So I still, I still wondering myself. Okay, what is the reason? I think that Swedish football has developed after, obviously, with some of the influence of uh, Graham Potter, to yeah. be tactical, more flexible, and to be changing during the games a bit more to back fours, back threes, and many of the teams, even though playing four four two or four two three one, there was always one central midfielder that was dropping to one of the sides of the central defenders are creating a back three. So if you want to build up with three, why don't you start directly with three? And we have teams that uh, clear examples that they want to be a back three to to have possession of the ball and to dominate with the ball. That has been Kalmar, for example, this season. Mm. We are coming from a team that was on the bottom of possession last season to one of the tops in possession this year. So the idea of back three was clearly to dominate the ball. Mm. And then we have another teams that has chosen to go to, in certain games to back five to be more defensive. Because yes. then we can we can say about Mialbi that maybe they are going into back five to be more solid defensively and to be yeah. more difficult to beat. So we have the two the two options for me. What uh, I think the football is coming nowadays to be more flexible teams tactically, where several players can play in several positions. Suddenly, uh, in the Euros, we were watching Spain, where the right back was becoming uh, an advanced midfielder with Llorente in the game against against Sweden. Um, yeah, I think that more than the formation, sometimes we have to see why the teams are choosing this or that. And yeah, it's, it's a quite interesting debate from a 4 4 4 2 classic Swedish 
formations to a bit more dynamic. And I think that is only only positive that more teams are trying different things. It's only enriching the the tactical of the of the league. Which teams would you say this season have impressed you in Osvenskan based on that as well? Like which teams have you enjoyed watching, you know, just or analyzing, for example, just from your own point of view? And just briefly in terms of Malmo, uh, you know, then potentially getting into the Champions League group stages, how 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 good is that for Swedish football, you think? And, and how will that help the league uh, develop? Which which teams have you enjoyed? And, you know, maybe a word on Malmo because they've been quite good this season, haven't they? <laughs> uh, for, for me, Malmo in the last month, they didn't start well, but Malmo in the last month has been absolutely superb. Despite of the results against Halmstad or EFK Göteborg, against uh, Göteborg, they should have won by miles the game. But also to be going to Glasgow against Rangers, win the game, uh, win also here at home. Now against Ludo Goretz, the good game they, they play. I think mm. they are playing. They are playing with a international speed, uh, so so called. They are playing with a uh, one more year than the rest of of the league mm. at the moment. Even though they haven't got some of the game, the results. For example, we went there and we got a, a draw that I think that we deserve against them for the. the performance the guys put, the defensive, but it's, it's never a point that Ostersen should have got against Mamo if we see to the stats. Um, but they have been a bit unfortunate, and I think for Swedish football, it's superb that if they can get into the Champions League group stage. The same mm. with Hammarby, if they can go to the conference, they have a difficult game on, on Thursday against Basel, and unfortunately, Erzbor is, uh, is out is, uh, after the 5-0. So I think for them, they have impressed me how they have that extra year from last year. I think the last year they won the league because it was the team that failed the less during the game, the season. It's not because they were absolutely impressive. I think the the rest of the, the league was a bit strange because of COVID and and so on. Sure. But this year they have a extra extra year. Yeah, they've been really good to watch. And I think, you know, if they can get there, then I actually think they could do okay because, you know, they've they got, you know, very good from set pieces, like uh, for example. They're quite an organised team, like you say. They're playing at a level now where they've got a decent squad, they've got good players. So even if they got past Ludogorets, you know, I don't think they'll be embarrassed in the Champions League necessarily. So, you know, good luck to them <clears throat> and let's see how they get on. Yeah, and also all the best to my fellow Spanish there, performance coach, Jose, that I know that has been working very hard to, to make things happen. Exactly, and and that was that leads me on to the next question actually, because uh, for you know I'm sure by now those who 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 know obviously you spoke about Spain and the Euros uh, in terms of tactics and and uh, perhaps the accent as well. You, you are obviously Spanish. Um, tell us about your yeah. your background. And by the way, uh, your English is, is amazing. You know, to to speak in an interview like this in in, uh, in English is really impressive. So congratulations on that. But tell us about your own personal background. Like, how did you you know get into football? Um, I know you said you you obviously worked previously in a, in Norway as well. Just tell us about your pathway and, and maybe what you're thinking is, is next for you kind of thing, uh, what you've learned in this time. And, and just tell us about your career so far, where you started. And... Well, it's quite quite funny because I've had love of sports and football since I was a, a little kid. I have, I think, my first recollection of football, World Cup, US, United States, uh, 94, a game in Spain <laughs> against South Korea, 2-2, watching it with my <laughs> grandpa. Uh, that, oh, yeah. that was my first. Yeah, that's that's the first game of football I have in my head, and I will never forget. And uh, yeah, I always liked football. Then, when I started to study in the university, uh, I started to study engineer. That uh, for me, I always thought that was a mistake. But I think that to be in as an engineer school for two years has helped me a lot in the analysis. 
to have a more analytic mind and so on. So I never, never to regret what the path I, I took. Mm. But yeah, in, in 2009, I started to be uh, in the School of Sports Sciences in Spain. And we had a, an option to go to a so-called program Erasmus, where you can go one of the, your years uh, to, to study abroad. So I decided to go from Sevilla, one million people city, to a small town in Norway called Volda. I think it's like around 8,000 people living there. And I had my coach batch, the, the first one done in Spain. And I started to, to be curious to, uh, about helping the club. It was a very small club. And suddenly they, they trust me with, uh, with the eyes totally closed. I said, okay, you can start as assistant manager in the under 16. Wow. <laughs> and obviously, no payment involved, nothing. Just uh, even I had to pay for my own sweater from the team. So <laughs> it was quite quite funny that. But uh, at the end of that year, I graduated in sports sciences. And so I said to the club, thank you so much. But now I'm coming back to Spain. And suddenly I got my first offer as a, as a coach, my first professional contract, so called. It was, it was not professional, but for me, it was like an opportunity to stay six, month, six more months in, in Norway and try to develop my English. It wasn't that it wasn't good at that point and develop also my Norwegian, knowing more people, knowing more clubs. And, and the, the manager in the first team knew about my background in sports sciences and he asked me to be the head, the the head of strength condition, the physical coach, in the team. Yeah. Uh, amazingly, we won the league, no defeated that season, twenty victories, two draws, and and another team came knocking at my door with Portuguese coaches at the moment at the time. I was also superb. Two years there, or two, yeah, almost two and a half years there, and then another club called me head to be the the physical coach there. And then what was about to be only nine months in, in Norway ended up to be six years until Ian brought me to, to Sweden. And I, I have been now three superb years in, in Ostersund. And then, as you said, what I'm looking for the next, the next season or the next challenge in my career is to, to go to a club that has a good project. Doesn't matter. Sometimes it's, it doesn't matter if, which division it is. Obviously, the highest and my knowledge now of Alex Venskan is, I would say, is quite good. <laughs> I can be always developed, of course. But after three years of watching almost every game in Alex Venskan, I think it can be a, a thing in Alex Venskan. Or I have a very good relationship also with teams in Elite City in Norway. My best friend is working in Brand, which they are not at the moment so good. I've, I've heard you in the last podcast talking about that. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I want to go to a project that... The club has a, a, a clear direction of what they want to do, what are the resources they are, and and that's that's my next uh, goal. Yeah, and I think that you know from uh, from the way you speak about football and you know, the level of um, experience you've had, and you know the different uh, courses you've done, like you've said, and that kind of thing, I, I'm sure you're going to be pretty in demand. So I'm sure you're not going to uh, take too long to find a new role, which hopefully you know I wish you all the best with. Um, uh, thank but, you. I really appreciate your time on 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 this show. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you one question because you, you've mentioned there kind of Ian, Ian's influence on your career, Ian Birchnell, um, who's a friend of the pod, of course. I've been on it in the past. Like, how do you think he'll he'll get on in England? Because obviously, you know, he made the move from from Ostersunds and kind of left as well, a bit like yourself. Uh, just a word on him as a coach, because you know, 
the way he managed in Sweden kind of maybe is uh, now moved on into, into England. How do you think he will, he will fare working with him behind the scenes? I think that he's going to have a, a great impact in the, in the National League. I think the way he understands football is so away from the traditional way from National League or conference. And we could see in the last game how his team is playing. Everybody said that in conference you cannot play a combinative style of football. But he's showing in the last part of the last season and in this season that, yes, you can. And you can win games. And I think they are clear candidates to get the promotion. I think in the, with the word he's putting, the knowledge he has, the experience he has treating players one-to-one and with the group, and also the experience in top football, in both in, in Norway with Viking. Viking is a, is a massive club in, in Scandinavia. And with Ostersund, I think he, he has everything, all the ingredients to, to become a, a great manager in, in England, which he is already. But what I mean is like to go higher up in the division system. And uh, I, I've been talking with him. His project in Notts County is absolutely superb. It's not a project that is at the fifth division. I think that the, the, if the things and a bit or the touch of luck you always need, they can go up in the, in the divisions quite fast. Yeah, and you know it's uh, it's it's quite interesting on this podcast. We've been doing it for you know um, a good sort of three four years now, and 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 seeing the development of coaches like obviously Sean Constable and Ian and, and others that we've had on it, it's it's quite fascinating. And I think you'll be in next Osterson's uh, alumni that we'll we'll keep an eye on if you know what I mean, and see yeah, where yeah. you you go on in, in years to come. Certainly, maybe get you back on the show. And uh, I really appreciate your time, uh, Rafa. It's been been fascinating to get you on. And just uh, quickly, whereabouts are you from in Spain? Out of interest, I'm from the from the south of Spain. Uh, even though if any people can see any picture of me, I don't look Spanish at all. I look like a, a Scandinavian guy. <laughs> but yeah, I'm from from the south of Spain, born in Granada, raised in, in Cordoba. Uh, and yes, but I I will be always happy to be to be living in a. I think I, I'm a guy that can adapt to different environments quite well. Um, for me, uh, um, living in different environments has has had a great positive impact in myself as a person. Kind of, yeah, being a, being able to adapt to any environment from a small club in in Norway to a, a yeah a top t- top club in in Alsvenskan, then that has been always positive for me to get my Spanish background, the English background I had with the managers, the Portuguese that I had during my time in in Norway as well. And, and yes, as and we were talking also with, with the guys now, all the the staff we were here in 2018, 2019, now with Prince in Sunderland, Ian in North County, I think uh, in the future England is waiting for me. Yeah, for sure. We'll be, we'll be glad to welcome you one day, and you know we'll have a, we'll have a drink maybe from uh, from the sunny south of Spain to uh, to the wintry north of Norway. No one can accuse you of. Uh, not being adaptable, that's for sure. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that, and thank you so much for your time. It's been thank, great. Thank you so much time. to you guys, and I really appreciate uh, your podcast. You are doing a, a super job to follow the both the Norwegian and the Swedish league. Uh, I really appreciate the the time you've been with me during the long trips during the season. Yeah, I'm glad we can uh, hopefully brighten up your journey and it, don't make it too painful for you when you're on your travels. But uh, now, thanks so much for listening, and we'll, we'll obviously definitely keep in touch. Uh, yeah, keep it and, you know, I wish you all the best in your, you know, your next adventure. So, um, thank you so much for listening, uh, guys. We're gonna wrap up the show. So that's uh, that's it for this episode. Um, we will have another bonus episode coming uh, in the days to come, no doubts. Um, but I hope this has given you a good insight into performance analysis, coaching, and you know, behind the scenes at a football club 
uh, with someone who's got fantastic track record and experience, um, Rafa Roldan. So thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on, on Twitter at NordicFootPod. Uh, and we'll be back very soon, of course, as always. So keep an eye on that or subscribe via iTunes or, or um, Spotify or wherever you get your shows. Uh, and we'll be back. Hopefully you've enjoyed this insight. Like I say, drop us a comment or a tweet, whatever, to let us know what you think. And we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. And goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you.